Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the State Tax Show, your home for the latest ruminations on state and local taxes. I'm Matt Hunsaker. Do you know what's going on at the Multi-State Tax Commission and with its uniformity projects? If not, today is your lucky day. Claire, where are we? We are in the San Antonio jungle. The San Antonio jungle? Yep. Oh. I thought we were at Lake Texoma in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's probably more accurate. Things seem to be loosening up a little bit here in Texas with regards to the COVID restrictions. My family this last Saturday decided we wanted to go out to one of the state parks just to hike around for a bit and get out of the house. Unfortunately, here in Texas, the parks are limited to five people, and my family has seven people. Interestingly, they said that if we were to split up into two cars, that that would be okay. Um, that left me scratching my head. I'm sure that they have a reason that makes sense for splitting up a family into two cars but not letting them go through in one car, but I'm not quite sure what it is. So instead, we headed just a few miles further up north and into Oklahoma and spent the day hiking around out in nature by ourselves. That takes me to my next listener tip on working remotely and staying sane, and that is go outside. Now, I'm not saying to break any of the social distancing rules, but maybe just pop out in your backyard for a bit. According to the internet, there are 11 benefits to going outside, and I'll just run through these for you real quick. Improve short-term memory, restored mental energy, stress relief, reduced inflammation. I thought that was an interesting one. Better vision, improved concentration, sharper thinking and creativity, possible anti-cancer effects, immune system boost, improved mental health, and reduced risk of early death. So there you have it. According to the internet, you should carve out a few minutes or maybe an hour or so each day just to get outside and enjoy the sunshine. It's been a while since we talked about what is going on at the Multi-State Tax Commission, or the MTC as we like to call it. Last week, the MTC had their spring meetings. And I think this is the first time that I can recall that they weren't held in person. It was entirely a teleconference. Let me give you a quick rundown today about what happened in those meetings. And we'll dig deeper into these issues down the road when some of these issues have had some time to ripen up. First, on the personnel front, Helen Hesht is moving out of the general counsel role to focus more on the uniformity efforts. And replacing her will be Nancy Prosser, who was former general counsel for the Texas Controller of Public Accounts, who will be the new general counsel. Marshall Strandberg is currently the deputy executive director, but he's going to be retiring any day now. He's a bit of a friend of the show. We had him on in my prior version of the show to 
tell us a little bit about what's going on with the CITUS and ALAS transfer pricing initiatives. He's going to be replaced uh, here shortly by Scott Pattison. One other interesting thing that the executive committee did was they made a procedural change. So now the annual meeting can meet electronically or they can have a quorum electronically. So this gives them the option to do that, but it's still up in the air whether or not they will actually have their annual meeting later this year in person or electronically. But let's get on to what you're probably interested in, and that is the executive committee approved two projects for public hearing. These are both uniformity projects. The first is the uniformity committee's draft of the Finnegan option in the MTC uh, model combined reporting statute. That language is now in its final form. And also the uniformity committee's uh, proposed changes to the Statement of Information on Public Law 86-272. So let's talk about both of those. One of the issues for combined reporting states is always, what do you do with members of the combined group who don't have nexus in the state? And there's two ways of handling this, and they're called the Joyce Method or the Finnegan Method, and both of those are names of cases that came out of California. Under the Joyce method, those members in the combined group that don't have nexus in the state, what you do is you include all of their sales in the group's denominator, but then you exclude the in-state sales from that non-nexus member from the combined group's sales factor numerator. Does that make sense? So basically, all of the sales for that no-nexus member come into the denominator and are excluded from the numerator. And so the practical effect there is usually taxpayer favorable because it typically dilutes the apportionment factor. Of course, there may be certain situations out there where you may not want to dilute the apportionment factor, but generally taxpayer favorable. Some people will say that the practical effect is that the non-nexus entity is not taxed. And I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification. There's a pretty complex interplay between the factors that that entity contributes to the group and the income that it contributes to the group. And so it can lead to a, a result that's different than expected from just not taxing that entity. Now, the Finnegan approach is the exact opposite. In the Finnegan approach, the member of the combined group that doesn't have nexus in the state, well, you include that in the combined group, you include its in-state sales in the combined group's numerator and all of its sales in the denominator. Said differently, under Finnegan, the combined group includes all of the sales, both for numerator and denominator purposes, of every unitary group member, regardless of whether they have nexus in the state. Now, back in 2006, the MPC put out a model statute for combined reporting. And at that time, there's a lot of discussion of, do we go with Joyce? Do we go with Finnegan? And eventually, Joyce won out. What this new project would do would give states alternative language if they want to take the Finnegan approach with combined reporting. States that follow this approach would be required to use a single return for combined return states. And there's a way of doing unitary combination where you have 
entity level returns. I won't get into that, but this would require the unitary group to have a single return. It also includes some rules about how group members share net operating losses and capital losses. I'm not going to get into that today. It's uh, pretty weedy, and so we will save that for a, a later discussion. And then finally, and this isn't all that unusual, the new provision would impose joint and several liability for group taxes on each member of the combined group. So in other words, you'd have a tax liability for the group, and then the state could go after any member of the group for satisfaction of that tax liability. And this is kind of a, just as an aside, this is very important when you're working on M&A transactions to really understand how this joint and several, several liability uh, applies when you're breaking up a group. Maybe I'll talk uh, at some point in the future on M&A issues, and if so, I'll, I'll revisit that. The other uniformity project relates to Public Law 86-272. Maybe a year or year and a half ago, I did a primer on Public Law 86-272. I'm going to revisit that and produce a new primer because there's a, been a lot that's happened since then. So stay tuned for that. I'll probably get to that, though, in the, sometime in the coming year. Public Law 86-272 has an interesting history. It's a federal law, so it's one of those few times where the feds have actually stepped in and regulated taxation of interstate commerce. And it's a federal law that prevents states from imposing net income taxes, or no sales tax here, just income taxes, on taxpayers. And by the way, that gets real tricky with many of our quasi-gross receipts taxes that states seem to be leaning towards lately. But in any event, it applies to net income taxes on taxpayers whose only activity in the state is the solicitation of orders for tangible personal property, where the orders are approved and fulfilled from outside the state. Now, that's not word for word from the statute, but that's the essence of it. And there's some case law out there on what is solicitation and what's ancillary to solicitation. The most important one there is the Wrigley case. And yes, that's the the gum company. Well, the MTC has tried to put a little more flesh on the bones, and so they've issued a statement of information on Public Law 86-272, which gives some color on their views about what kinds of activity is protected solicitation activity. Well, what this new uniformity project will do is it's going to add a new section, and this section is going to address what kind of online activities go beyond Public Law 86-272 protection? Here are a few examples for you to chew on. So these are things that would go beyond solicitation of orders, and that is soliciting online applications for branded credit cards, remote product updates or upgrades, things like patches, selling extended warranty plans, selling streaming music or video services, and customer assistance after a sale, either by chat or email or some other electronic method. The new section would also say that in-state presence of independent contractors or telecommuting employees takes you outside of the protection of Public Law 86-272. And this is where it got interesting during the meeting, because the working group couldn't reach an agreement on how this might be interpreted in our current COVID-19 state. 
where we have lots of people telecommuting. And the issue that they were bouncing around was it kind of revolved around the regularity of this telecommuting. I expect that not very many states are going to be real aggressive given the the politics of the situation. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how these provisions, if they are approved, how they are applied with regard to our COVID-19 stay-at-home situation. From what I gather, again, always trying to be neutral here, the business community doesn't really like this new section. And I think the reason why is that it, if you stop and think about it, it really gets most companies who have just a regular, normal online presence. And so it really guts the protection of Public Law 86-272. Well, that's it for the MTC, at least for now. We'll certainly get back to these issues as they go through the public hearing process. Speaking of uniformity projects, some of you have been asking for an update on Wayfair slash Marketplace Facilitator uniformity efforts by the MTC and the National Conference on State Legislatures. I'm working on it. And it's in the queue, so just sit tight. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to things getting back to normal so I can get out and see you guys in person. Until then, please stay safe and be sure to send me your tips for staying sane while working remotely. I'll be back next week with another episode of The State Tech Show. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.